0: All right, hello and welcome to the Player to Coach podcast. I'm your host Josh Hill. Alongside me, my former teammate and good friend, now co-host Jordan Alexander. Uh, we are back from a little bit of a break, um, as you may, you know, figure out on your own. This is not our full time jobs. Uh, we have other things to do, other things in life to take care of, and uh, just you know, life got a little bit too hectic, and we figured, you now let's take a little bit of a break come back stronger than ever. So we put a a rest to season one and we are into season two, kicking off with episode 14. Um, Got a mailbag episode today, which is going to be fun. Going to answer some questions. Um, Jordan, how was your break? What'd you do?
1: Uh, Break was really good. It was really busy. Um, Wife and I got into a house and bought our first house. Uh, So that was really cool. Um, It's been lot getting into the house and uh yeah just kind of getting settled a little bit um and then it's my birthday a few weeks ago a couple weeks ago um so that was fun um also four-year wedding anniversary um which was fun too uh haley and i just went on a family vacation with her family out in oahu um got back uh late last night so That was good, too. Just some time away, kind of away from work and from uh, basketball a little bit. Um, So that was a good opportunity um, to do that. And, uh, yeah, just kind of been staying busy, really looking forward to the upcoming season. We got all of our guys coming in this week um, for school. Um, So we'll kind of get started with conditioning and training and all that. And, uh, yeah, it's just been it's been a good month. It's been a busy month. Have a lot going on but it's a good time so i know you've had a lot going on too uh, what have you been up to
0: uh, yeah a lot of the similar uh things that you were going through um we have probably run into every possible bad thing that can happen when it comes to purchasing a house um so currently uh, well, we bought a house close to the city so we were uh, pretty far south in the south suburbs of chicago and Um, both my wife and I work in the city, so we were just kind of tired of the commute. So we've been looking for a house for a while, um, found a place, um, everything was going well, um, you know, a few negotiations here and there, uh, but nothing out of the usual. And then, you know, the day before we sold our other place, uh, something came up with the buyer of our other house. So we currently own two homes. So this is really a really fun situation to be in where you don't want to own two homes and you're trying to get rid of one. So, um, but yeah, we didn't want to try to dance with, you know, the risk of losing this place that we're in currently. So, um, lots of hiccups there. We moved out, had to move back in. It was a whole situation. So the break was very much needed cause there's no way we'd be able to prepare and do all this stuff in time. So it was good. Um, a little bit of training here and there, um, uh, probably two, three times a week. For me, and then um, something that uh, is big right now in Chicago is proams. I mean, all over, but it's proams. This is my first summer being in a place where, um, you know, proams are a thing. First of all, especially being you know from Oregon, where there's not much. There's the the Portland ones now, but uh, there wasn't really a thing uh, for very long. So uh, it's been a lot of fun uh, getting to go experience a different a different type of basketball, different type of game. Uh, you know, walk into a gym. First off, everyone gets patted in, um, before they can get inside. And, um, you, know, you can't hear anything cause you got speakers blowing your ears off and you got MCs running around. Um, it's a, it's a great time. There's the one that I was going to, um, there's a, there's the biggest one here in, in Chicago. It's called the shy league. They got all the, all the pros that play in it. It's the most top tier one. The one that I went to is, um, kind of a step down from that. A lot of former pros uh, that are, you know, maybe just kind of lost a step or whatever, former college guys. So, so high level stuff, but you can kind of tell, you know, it's a little bit past their days, but a lot of really good basketball, uh, a lot of fun, uh, a lot of fun moments The MC was running around with a little like siren. If anyone, you know, got hot, <laughs> hit a few shots and would run like hold over their head, that type of stuff. Um, yeah, it was, it was a good time. So Really excited to be in a city uh, that has pro-ams and uh, I'm probably gonna be going and checking out the, the Shy League here soon. So I'm pumped about that. Um, real quick, what does is, what is preparation for you guys look like headed into the season? You said you got conditioning, um, you got some training stuff coming up. Do you guys already have all that stuff mapped out and what does that kind of look like for you from an outside perspective?
1: Yeah, we uh, so we have orientation for all of our new guys, uh, coming in, starting this upcoming Thursday. Um, and so that's on the 25th. And, uh, so they got school orientation. We'll start with, you know, some conditioning stuff this weekend, um, a couple days after they get moved in and we can't do any basketball stuff right now until practice starts. So we're not doing any coaching, nothing in the gym really. Um, yeah, no practicing or anything like that. So, um, doing some conditioning, um, you know, be on the track, out on the trails, um, that kind of stuff. Uh, with guys, um, a lot of player development um, is on their own right now. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we're just getting prepared in that way. We start practice, about, I think it's September 22nd. So um, about the third, fourth week of September, um, we'll get started with official practices um, but a lot of preparation right now is just making sure guys are set for school um, and making sure that they're all registered for classes and everything. That's um, actually part of my role as an assistant coach. I also am the admissions counselor at the university for all incoming athletes. So um, working with athletes, making sure that they're getting registered for classes with the registrar's office and their advisor and, Um, everything you know with their application transcripts it's all set Um, so that's kind of been a big part of the preparation this month in the month of August Um, honestly it's been a lot of non basketball things Um, just making sure that guys are ready and comfortable and getting to school on time and um, getting here when they're supposed to be here so um, that's kind of been the biggest thing this month that's kind of what a lot of this month has to you know do with um, as far as um, preparation goes so that's been fun but that can definitely be a busy thing because um, everyone's got something everyone's coming from a different place so they got to travel here you know or maybe we have local guys it's super easy for them um, but we have a couple guys coming in from pretty far away this year so we're trying to make sure that they have arrangements to get here and get into their housing and all that so yeah
0: yeah for good. sure and all while most of that stuff isn't directly basketball related it's all super important so guys aren't worrying about classes and schedules and credits not lining up in the season or even living situation i mean you just hit on it there's guys from out of town moving for the first time or you know in the air for the first time it's uh you want to have them settled so that when it's time to get into practice and time to start learning all your sets and all that yeah. they can be focused and not be worried about all that other stuff so while it you know, not directly basketball-related. It's super important to make sure you tie up all your loose ends now, so you don't have you know just limit as many distractions as you can in the season. But
1: it's a big part of, a big part of college basketball or just college athletics, right? Making sure that you got all that stuff aligned, so athletes can be at their peak performance when it's needed and everything. Trying to make sure you can limit things off the court, um, so they're good to go. Yeah. Yeah, for sure.
0: All right. Uh, so we're going to be kicking off season two with a meal bag episode. Uh, so we kind of put this up last few days. Um, got, got some good submissions here. I, I did my best just to copy and paste all of them. So I didn't actually read them ahead of time. There are a few that kind of have, uh, some preconceived answers to, but I tried my best uh, to not. So we could just get our raw reaction and answer right off the bat. Um, I have not. He looked hasn't at seen any, any so for sure. This will so be completely. Off. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm at, unfortunately I'm going to start this one off just really quickly. Um, what what is something okay. that you learned about uh, podcasting in season one?
1: You gotta prepare a little bit, um, just because you know when we're recording live and everything, you know, which is it's good. You want to have like raw emotions and real answers and everything, but you got to prepare a little bit. Um, And then, yeah, there's just a little bit of a time commitment to it, depending on how much you want to put into it, right? Um, Which we've learned a little bit. And us being in two different locations has been a little bit of a challenge, too, in different time zones. And so, uh, you know, a lot of podcasts, people are in the same room as each other. Um, So we're trying to do this virtually, which has been a little bit of a challenge, but it's also kind of fun. Um, so yeah, just little things like that. We're kind of learning as we're going. Um, so that's been, yeah, I think
0: for me, kind of on the same note, um, we had, we had your dad coach Eddie on here a while back and I asked him about, um, like what percentage of being a head coach is actually coaching versus everything else. And I'm pretty sure he gave a 5% of actual like in-game coaching, the stuff that you really want to do. it's kind of similar thing like the you know the 30 to you know hour long episodes that we have live are like by far the best part like it is the most fun coolest thing ever and then once and once the cameras and everything turns off it's like all right time to get the good audio in time to start producing start i i'm not um i've never edited before this so it's been um, a million different youtube videos to learn how to edit and how to put things together so Uh, it's all the stuff that's very important, you know, just like building a program, not all of it's directly basketball related, but Hey, it's what needs to be done. So, uh, yeah, those are some of the big things. All right. Let's dive in, uh, to some (laughs) mailbag questions, not from the host of the show, which is probably what you guys are looking for. Um, okay. Who is the best NBA coach in your opinion and what makes a good NBA coach?
1: You can go if you have an answer. Um, probably pretty obvious.
0: Yeah, probably pretty obvious one. Uh, Coach Popovich. Um, probably one of my all-time favorite coaches and people just from an outside's perspective. Uh, someone who, you know, has a, you just look at his track record. I mean, I'd, without even having to pull the stats, I can confidently say that the Spurs are probably one of the most successful franchises in, you know, the 20th century. And, you know, they haven't won, um, you know, championships every single year, but they're always in the mix. They're always a great team. Um, every Everybody looks at the Spurs for great basketball, and that all stems from the coach. So, um, yeah, Popovich for me. And what, I mean, what makes a good coach? I mean, especially in the NBA, I mean, like, first things first, you have to be a, a, basketball genius to be an NBA coach. You can't have, you can't have players that don't trust everything that you say as far as your, uh, your basketball knowledge. And then after that, it's just managing personalities, managing, uh, players and, um, a lot of management, you know, there's, there's so much uh, politics, there's a lot of money involved. Um, Big time careers at stake, everything. So it's it's a lot of management, um, and you can. It's pretty obvious when you can see teams that are mismanaged from the head coaching position, and that is not Popovich by any means.
1: Mm-hmm. That's a good one. Um, I I have two, um, one and for two different reasons. Um, one being Eric Spoelstra um, in Miami. I think that. Back when Pat Riley decided that he was going to be the guy, I think that he faced some early challenges coaching some star power, um, you know, with um, the Heatles, you know, with LeBron and D Wade and Bosch and stuff. And so um, I think there were some challenges there because it can be tough to coach um, big time guys like that. Um, but he's been the guy ever since then. And that, you know, there's heat culture that's developed um, from the top down. And I think that um, he could have second or third tier level players in the NBA. And I think that they're competing. They're, they're always a name. Um, We kind of talked about them, you know, when the Eastern conference finals were happening, no one was picking the heat, but they were the one seed. and They were, you know, obviously they didn't go to the finals or anything, but they were there and they, Um, We're putting up a fight and everything and obviously had a great year. So I think a lot of that credit goes to him. Um, He's also an Oregon guy, so that's pretty cool. Um, And then the other guy would be um, Steve Kerr for me for kind of the reason that um, I just said. I think he coaches star power really well. Um, I think that he um, allows the players to play. He puts them in a system. Um, that he sees fit for what's on the floor. And obviously we've seen success with that. Um, That's probably something that people would say is considered a cop-out because, oh, yeah, the Warriors are really good. Well, I think that you can see it, though. Like if you're paying attention, the Warriors in years past have been one of the best defensive teams and offensive teams. Um, And there's got to be some coaching that's, you know, coming from that. So um, those two guys kind of stick out in my mind, um, one from each conference. Um, yeah.
0: Why does Kevin Durant get so much hate for switching teams when guys like LeBron has moved teams like every four years or so? I'll let you start with that one.
1: Um, I think part of it is how active he is on social media. Um, I think that's part of it, but, you know, not saying he hasn't, like, he has or hasn't asked for that interaction or anything, but he chooses to interact online, and so he'll go back and forth with fans. So it's easy for people to maybe not like him because of that. Um, He went to the Warriors, like, right after, you know, they were, like, in back-to-back finals, um, That might be a little bit different than LeBron going to the Heat um, when he did. I don't know. I think that's the easy comparison, obviously, of like when LeBron jumped to Miami and KD jumped to Golden State. Yeah, I don't know. I'm personally, I'm a KD fan, not as big of a fan as you are, but I purely just like him because of his game. Um, but yeah, he is in a lot of controversy all the time, so... Um I don't know. I'll let you answer that because you're the you're the KD guy, so you go for it.
0: Okay, I am a KD guy. That does not mean that I agree with every decision he's ever made um in terms of his career decision, but hey, that's his career, it's his decision. I'm just going to leave it at that. But um I think I mean, even thinking back to when LeBron and the decision and everything, like they got their fair share of of hatred, yeah. <laughs> you know, for like sure. I, it was pretty loud there for a while. Uh, I mean, it's. I think, he made, um, you know, he quieted that down quite a bit when, um, when he went back to Cleveland and they ended up winning, um, and then I mean from there I don't know I just think they're just so different, you know, like LeBron's one of those guys where obviously you know he's made mistakes, but I mean you look at his you look at his track record, it's hard to really point at anything and be like, dang, he really messed up there or like it, you know, he did this, which was super controversial. Like he's going to have it. I mean, especially when he's played for what, 19 years now or whatever. But um, yeah, I just think they, they move and they operate in a different fashion. And I think, um, yeah, kind of like you were saying, I think Kevin Durant invites it and kind of likes it probably, Uh, especially when you see the way that he goes at, you know, random construction workers who have a, who have a Twitter (laughs) account. Um, But I don't know. Uh, I, yeah, like you were saying, when it's a, when it's a free agency signing to Mm -hmm. a team who just went 73 and whatever, you know, that's, it's tough not to, you know,
1: hate them a little bit for that. I think my, and I've mentioned this in season one, I can't remember what episode necessarily, but we've talked about Kevin Durant before too. You have to look at it in almost like two different lenses. Like one lens, you can look at it from purely basketball and you can say like, oh, that's a weak move. But if you look at it from like a business side of things, like he's made the right business decisions as far as like where to go. And like he's gone to a place where he can be successful and... He can still get paid a lot of money and he can, you know, do his job well. So, like, I don't know. I think my perspective on him going to Golden State when he did has changed a little bit. Um, like, dude, like, he made a great professional decision. Went and got himself two titles and two finals MVPs and made a lot of money doing it. Um, and he just did. Who cares? Like, it's his choice. So, My perspective has changed a little bit on those things, Um, but it's true. Like the question is true. Like LeBron went to a super team, but what, like what NBA team wins a championship that isn't a super team? Like guys are considered stars when they win championships. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. It's it's impossible to win in the NBA if you're not on a quote unquote super team, I guess, that has multiple stars on the team. So, yeah. um, that argument is kind of funny to me.
0: Yeah, it is. All right. Let's go to the next one. Um, which active players could play in the nineties and was it as brutal as everyone thinks?
1: Which active players could play in the nineties? Yeah. Probably all of them. I think a lot could like basketball players have just gotten better and better. So, I mean, it's also a completely different type of game. Um, it's weird, like, yes, I, I I do think that basketball was a little bit more physical, like, in the 90s. I do. I know that we've had this conversation on here before, though. I think the way that the game is called has kind of, you know, helped it get less physical in a sense. Um, like, you can't hand check, so why are you going to be able to, like, you know, hammer a guy when he goes to the rim? You know what I mean? So, that kind of stuff has changed it naturally, like, the way that the game is called, but Once again, like, not to, I know this is kind of straying away from the question, but, like, the NBA is a fan sport. So, people are going, people want to go see offense. So, it's going to favor the offense. Like, that's what, you know, that's what basketball is now. But as far as who can play in the 90s, are you freaking kidding me? A lot of guys could play in the 90s. I think that you would just adjust to how the game is, you know, like. We were just talking about Kevin Durant. Can you imagine a six eleven guard in the nineties? Like
0: he would be averaging forty, like
1: Dude. Yeah, so it's just it's just different. I don't know, like I also think there's guys in the nineties that could play today. I think you have to flip flop it. There's a lot of guys then that could play to play today. There's just stars and generations. So it's not in their control when they played, when they were born. You know what I mean? I don't know. I feel like you're pretty passionate about this argument, so go for it.
0: Yeah. Uh, really quick, I'm going to preface this. I'm going to try to be a little bit more myself this season. I think last season of the uh, the podcast, I was a little bit reserved want to can of explain myself. Uh, I feel very passionate about this. I feel like 90% of today's NBA could beat out players in the 90s. Like, there's obviously the megastars of the 90s or whatever, but like... It, You go back and you watch, there's still point guards bringing up the ball, going to their left side, dribbling with their right hand and just like turning and posting up from half court. It's like, I, come on, like, you know, and it's like you said, it's a different game. So obviously that's part of it um you know we're getting spot up shots from the elbow you're you're not gonna see that today unless it's a a designed curl like clay thompson has that play form drawn up a lot but you're not gonna see spot up mid-ranges in today's nba you're just not um i yeah like you said it's it's only more physical because of the calls that's it um i obviously if you were to bring today's NBA rules and refs to the nineties, everybody would foul out every game. It's just a different game. Uh, so it's, it's really hard to compare eras. but yeah, I think the skill, I mean, the skill range right now is through the roof, like right. absolutely through the roof. Like I, I would love to bring, you know, 10th, 11 guy off the bench and have them, you know, be the point guard of a team in the nineties and watch them absolutely cook people. Um, you know, just as far as like skill wise, you know, I think it's just through the roof. Um, yeah.
1: I think I, with that, though, I'll, I'll kind of debate that a little mm-hmm. bit. I think if you threw some more physicality into the game, I think a lot of the skilled players you're talking about aren't as good, probably. Like,
0: like if you allow more of that?
1: Yeah, I would love to see. It, it, it'll come back. Hope, I hope it comes back Me at some point. Me a little bit to so where there's some more physicality in the game. Obviously there's there's more physicality in the NBA playoffs than there is like in any other type of basketball yeah. throughout the season. Um but still it is different. Like we got flagrant ones for getting poked in the eye. Like, come <laughs> on, dude. Like I I think I've mentioned this on here before. I'm kinda I feel like I'm a part of that tweener age group of like I watched a lot of early two thousands basketball mm-hmm. and I like the prime of basketball that I've watched has been to two thousand tens, two thousand twenties so far. So like I've seen a little bit of both. I was just really young at the tail end of the, a lot of the physicality, but yeah, um, I, I want there to be some more physicality back in basketball as far as the rules go. Um, I think it's good for the game. Um, that's just my opinion, though. But I know that that's not everyone's opinion. Um, so.
0: I I totally agree. I I would love to see more physical. That's how I play, personally. So I I would love to see a little bit more physicality. And like, if you know, physicality aside, like, please let people stare people down after they dunk on them. Like, please, can we just allow right. that to happen? Like, we I think to a point, emotions are a very good thing to allow obviously there's the things that you don't allow, but like, come on, you should let people let the person that Hey, I just, you know, slammed on your face. Like just let it <laughs> happen. Um, all right. Um, how do you become a guaranteed scoring threat at the college level?
1: I have no clue. Cause I wasn't one. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. I was going to say, um, how am
0: I supposed to answer this then, Jordan? You have to think I was of not a
1: guaranteed scoring threat at the college level. I wasn't. Um, I was a pretty good scoring threat in high school, um, strictly because of my ability to shoot the ball. But I wasn't some athlete that was playing up at the rim or anything. So let's think about this. How do you become a, a good scoring threat or consistent one at the college level? I think that you got to be able to score at all three levels. Um, and for those of you that don't know what that means, you got to score at the rim. You got to score in the mid range. You got to be able to score at the three point line. Um, I think that's how you become an elite scorer at the college level. Um, you can't be one dimensional, meaning you can't be a guy that, um, only shoots, uh, spot up threes. You can't be a guy that can only get to the rim with no jumper, um, In at the college level, there's a lot of scouting reports. And um, if you are one dimensional, you can be stopped easily um, at the college level. um, If you're on the scouting report. Um, Where we're at at Bushnell, we have scouting reports every game. Um, Guys that can't shoot, we have a, you know, we have our phrases for you know, what type of scorer we think you are or what type of shooter we think you are. We'll yell that out when we close out at you. Um, everyone's on the same page for us defensively. Um, so if you're not a shooter, we're probably going to give you a little bit of space. Um takes you out of the flow of your offense. Now you're overthinking things. It's a low percentage shot for you. If you're a guy that's lights out but can't get to the rim, we're probably putting all-out ball pressure on you, making you put the ball on the floor. Um making you uncomfortable. So, uh, if you want to be an elite scorer, be impossible to scout, um, score at every level. Um, the other thing I would say too is get yourself to the free throw line. Um, if you can get to the free throw line and put some easy points up on the board, you're now an elite score. Um, so yeah, that's what I, that would be my answer.
0: Yeah. I think, I mean, Pretty much just CC everything that you just said, but I I think I would put um, emphasis on being able to shoot. I think it's harder to stop somebody who can shoot and then also drive rather than someone who's primarily a driver or can't operate on on the perimeter. I think that it for makes sure. everything easier for you. Like like for myself as a player, and obviously this was not me because I was not a guaranteed scoring there at the college level, um, but. Like for myself, a lot of foot issues, really slow, and but my only chance to get by people is if I'm a threat from deep, and if I'm not, then like I I'm not getting by anybody. I'm just not, um, you know. There's I'd basically just dribble down just to post you up if I didn't have a, you know, if I didn't have a shot. But I I think especially in today you need to be able to shoot. Like if you can't, it's really really tough to be able to uh, to be a consistent scorer. And really, I think that's what. Um, and like, that's, that's all you're really, really looking for. A lot of it depends on the offense that you run. Um, you know, a lot of it just depends on, you know, obviously you're, um, yeah, like you were saying, if you don't have any weaknesses, then if you're able to read whatever the defense is giving, you should be able to do something. They can't stop everything. You know, no college defense can stop every single thing that you do, but yeah, if you only have one or two things and you can't shoot very well, it's going to be really tough to score.
1: Um, I add one more thing. Yeah. Um, be able to create your own shot. If you want to be an elite scorer, you got to be able to score in isolation situations and one-on-one situations when things things break down. Um, are you the guy that's going to get the shot at the end of the shot clock? Basically, um, I think you know the more shots you get, the more opportunity you have to be an elite scorer. So be able to create your own shot in a one-on-one situation.
0: All right, I'm going to read this next question exactly how it's phrased. Um, what's the craziest move in your
1: Duffy? <laughs> uh, I don't have it anymore. Spot um, up corner three. <laughs> <laughs> my, I, like, when I was playing, um, like, I guess the, my prime of when I was playing, uh, would be, um, I had like a go-to like inside out crossover, um, to be able to get to like a pull-up jump shot. Um, that was kind of like my go-to. Um, I could like, I also like to attack a guy off of a closeout with like a jab step and cross at the same time. Um, keep a guy off balance, um, into pull-up jump shots. Um, that was kind of like my go-to. I honestly, I wasn't like much of an elite ball handler. Um, and, but like I could take care of the basketball, but I wasn't going to like blow by you with my ball handling or anything like that. Um, so yeah, just, I I was pretty simple, honestly, nothing too complex for me. Um, for
0: me, lots, lots of jabs, lots of fakes, uh, people in, People really love to get blocks and I love showing that to people by, you know, putting the ball up and just watching them jump everywhere. It's really (laughs) easy to score. Like I do that to this day, especially with how slow and out of shape I am. I just pump fake the crap out of people and everybody jumps. So it just makes life really easy. (laughs) Um, Probably my go-to is uh, like on a drive. um, Like I usually go to this without even thinking about it, but it's like a, like a pound rip through while you're driving into like a floater or runner, like right in front of the rim, something that's really hard to guard. Um, you're able to adjust and finish at the rim or stop short and fade away kind of in that, like in between the rim and the free throw line, like that close mid range area where it's, you kind of, you really have to respect the finish at the rim, which kind of gives me a little bit of room to wiggle and make something happen. I really love the, like, like anything mid range, um, and in is kind of that like murky area of like where defenders have no idea what, what you're going to do as far as like you could pull up at any second or you can continue to drive. So I love taking advantage of that, but yeah, just, just faking the crap out of people. People love falling for fakes. It's the best thing ever. (laughs) It's probably the widest thing I've said on this podcast, but you know, (laughs) um, What's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you in a game?
1: I've never uh I've never fallen over like from getting crossed over, but I've definitely that I'm thinking of You touch you know, Earth or I, no. Like literally was as close as possible, probably to putting my hand on the ground though. Uh, but thank goodness the guy missed the shot. So, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think that was embarrassing, I guess, in the moment. Um, but nothing really came of it. I've never been dunked on. Um, I, I was very close. I was very close to getting dunked on one time. Um, in a my senior season in high school, going into my senior year, it was like a fall ball game. Um, yeah, I was very close to getting dunked on. But I got out of the way at the last second. It wasn't worth it. Not at that moment. Um, man, I'm trying to think. It would probably be like, yeah, just stumbling like on a crossover or something like that, I guess. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, two things come to mind for me. There's a, a specific blown fast break layup that's just like you can never recover <laughs> from mentally. You're like, ah, you know you want to find something to blame it on, but you know, you just smoked it. It's like, all right, let me just move on. (laughs) Um, there's that. And then a quick shout out to our former teammate, Kyler Kelly, you know, got dunked on in practice. It wasn't as bad as it could have been, but I would assume a lot of people have been dunked on by Kyler. So I don't feel as bad. Uh, it was a, it was a three on one situation fast break and I was backpedaling. Like I'm not, what am I supposed to do there? <laughs> you know, um, so uh, it wasn't on top of me, but I was definitely right under the rim, and I'm pretty sure the ball hit me in the head as I went through the net. So it's one of those situations where, you know, you want to hurry up and outlet it and move on. <laughs> um, you know, hurry, hope that something else big happens right afterwards so people forget. <laughs> um, all right, next one. <laughs> this is a good one. Uh, at what point should a coach stop playing or scrimmaging with their players? Is it beneficial to play with your team? Basically,
1: if you're helping as a coach, if you're helping, uh, if you if you can actually play, I I think like like sometimes I I don't know that sounds like kind of harsh I guess but if you can play, yeah, I guess it could help. I'll hop in sometimes to like drills if needed um, mm-hmm. or I have in the past, but like, I know my limitations. Um, I don't know. I don't know. That's kind of a, that's a good question. But it's kind of a weird question. Like, I feel like that's common sense. Like if you suck at basketball, then you shouldn't be out there. As a coach, like help, you know what that's I mean?
0: I don't know. So much of that depends on the coach, like, just themselves. Um I don't...
1: Like, know your limitations. I, I would, don't think I would just you would love ever to know, see this. I would love to know who asked that and why they're asking. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> but if you know, don't say.
0: I'm not going to do it. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I really want to, but I won't.
1: Um Yeah,
0: like you said, if you can play, I think it's fine. Our coach played with us for not like full scrimmages. Um, you know, Luke would hop in there sometimes for our um, like those fast break, like beginning of practice drills where, you know, everyone's getting touches, everyone's getting layups, mm-hmm. all those drills coaches hop in, but never to, you know, lace up. He play up open and,
1: gym in the summertime. What's that? He play a little open gym in the summertime too.
0: I mean, it's different when you're a former NBA player too <laughs> um, right,
1: but that's what I'm saying like he didn't suck at basketball,
0: yeah, you can't um yeah, it has to be beneficial too, you know, like there's those situ- like if there's nine people there and you need a ten, you yeah, hop in, you know do something, but um yeah you can't you can't stink, you just can't um gotta know what you're doing, um but yeah, it's a good question, um all right, next one. Uh, What does a healthy high school program's recruiting to players look like? How involved should a coach be or not be in high school recruiting?
1: Like recruiting to the high school? Yeah, I
0: I believe that's what they're going for in this question. I'll I'll start on this one. Uh, Really quick, it is very different. Basketball is different out here in Chicago, especially from my experience as a high schooler. Um, I met a guy this last summer. He's a head coach of a, um, a private school. Uh, but I believe this happens in other places as Mm -hmm. well. and, And for public schools, but, uh, you know, interview with them, got the offer, but it just wasn't good. Um, wasn't ready to commit to that yet. So it didn't end up working out. But one of the things that they asked about during the interview, um, was what is your availability to go scout middle schoolers and go talk to parents and, Um, that is just not from my experience, not really something that's, uh, that happens very much or at all in Oregon. Um, so I think it's very different when there's middle school programs in the area. I think it plays a little bit of a difference rather than, you know, in Oregon, there's not, there's, you know, other, other organizations that have middle school teams, but not actual middle schools themselves. But, um, uh, I mean, a lot of that is. I mean, for me, especially in high school, I'm not big on recruiting to high schools. It's I think it's weird. Maybe it's just how I you know grew up, and you know we didn't really grow up in that. But the best way to recruit is build a good program where parents want their kids to go play at. Like first and foremost. So if you have a consistent program, you're consistently competitive. You don't you know win state every year. That's unrealistic. But if you're always in the mix and you're sending kids to colleges then like that that's the best way to recruit in my opinion. Uh, so uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts, especially since you kind of grew up in the same kind of area that I did. And, you know, there wasn't a lot of, uh, official recruiting, uh, when it comes to, to high school. Yeah,
1: I think it's, I would definitely agree. There isn't like official recruiting in the state of Oregon. It happens though. Um, I think, there's certain areas of the state that it happens more than others depending on you know school districts or whatever you want to blame it on um but yeah i and like you said different parts of the country it probably happens a lot more you know if you have middle school um programs like actually at the middle schools and what are the school districts kind of allow and everything um I think if you're allowed to do it, more power to you. Like, why not? Um, you know, you're, you're just like in college, you're not just recruiting to the basketball program. You're also recruiting to the academics at a school, um, which you can do in high school. Um, and so, yeah, I think if you are allowed to go for it, but there's a lot of places where you aren't allowed to. And I think that's where it kind of gets, you know, a little sketchy. Um, I think what you said is 100% spot on, build your reputation, um, build your program, um, you know, win. and if that's what attracts people, great, build a great culture. If that's what attracts people, then great. Um, you know, be, you can, you can recruit without actually recruiting. Like what if you're just involved in the community and like people know who the coaches and like, Oh, that's actually like a good dude. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, like, build a reputation um, and, you know, put yourself out there and everything. I think there's a lot of ethical ways that you can do that if it's not allowed. Um, so, yeah, that'd, that'd be my take, I guess.
0: Uh, what type of training or amount of training uh, should a multi-sport athlete spend in the offseason? Or what sport should he or she focus on?
1: Uh, whatever one you want right? Like, whatever one you want to pursue, I guess, or whatever you feel like you're most passionate about. Um, I would assume we're probably talking about high school, high schoolers, there's a lot of multi-sport hat, you know, multi-sport athletes in high school. Um, whatever you want to pursue, right? Like, if you're trying to play college sports, you should probably spend some more time on that one um, and focus on it. If you're going to camps in the off season or You're playing on like a club or a travel team in the off and like pursue that, pursue that sport in the extra time, whatever one that you're most passionate about. Um, I played sports with a few multi-sport athletes in high school. And, uh, you know, like I can think of one specifically that spent a lot of his extra time playing baseball, even though he played club basketball, he played baseball too. And he was a D1 baseball player. So um, like he pursued that um i can think of three sport athletes that played baseball football basketball and you know like they pursued the sport that they were passionate about in their free time so i think whatever one you're passionate about whatever one you feel like it's a good fit for you and uh, maybe even if you're not like the best at it in that moment but that's what you want to do like you should i guess just go for it um i i personally I went, I wasn't a multi-sport athlete after sixth grade. Like I just played basketball. Um, But I also loved basketball the most and I was the best at basketball of all the sports I played. So that was an easy one for me to pick, um, you know, as far as pursuing my goals and dreams with that. So that would be my answer. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think, yeah, I don't think it really matters what, other sport you play. I think uh, lots of coaches would prefer that you play other sports as well and that you're not one dimensional. I think that's really important. Obviously that's not a one size fits all like in your case, but I think it's, I think it's really important for people to play multiple sports, not only just to get a break from your sport, which is super important, but I mean, you're training different parts of your body. Um, And if you're only doing one thing all the time, you know, certain muscles get used more for different sports. And if you're only using and straining those muscles more so than others, and you're just increasing chance of injury and whatever. But um, the first part of the question was what type of training or amount of training should a multi-sport athlete spend in the off season? So I I think what they're trying to get at is like, if you're a multi-sport athlete, but you also want to get better at basketball in the off season, what does that kind of look like? And I mean, my, my first takeaway would be, Let's say if you play soccer, or football in the fall, maybe don't like never touch a basketball until tryouts of basketball season. Right. You know, do something. Go to go to a few open gyms. Be somewhat involved, but I do think it's important to take a break. Um, you're not a pro athlete, so you don't. That's it's not your job. Uh, you should do other things and make sure that you're, you know, enjoying other things in life and um, uh, other sports, which I think is, is really important. Um, okay. Last one. Uh, this one's interesting. It's, um, from a fundraising perspective, what are some of the best ideas to pursue to make an effort to benefit all sports? Um, or just like, I I guess we could just hit on like, what, what are some of your like fundraising experiences and like, what are some ways that high school teams in particular can, uh, can fundraise for their program?
1: Uh, we used to do, um, like a free throw a thon, like a shoot a thon, uh, where basically, you know, you like go to people that you're asking to donate, um, like money per make out of a hundred. So like, I don't know, an easy example would be like, okay, I'm going to shoot a hundred free throws. Will you pledge to donate a dollar for every make that I get? So if I made 80, then you give $80, right? Like things like that. So you could have um, everyone in the program participate, go get as many people to pledge as possible. Um, Keep that information, get their contact information, you know, get all of your players at the gym at one time on a, you know, Saturday morning, whatever. Um, Shoot your hundred free throws, record your number, then report that back to the people that pledged to you. And then that's how much money they owe. Um, that's a good one. Um, I think there's a lot of like E team sponsor things that you can do now, um, where you can do like an online, like, Mm -hmm. like online, um, where you can do like a video recording of your team and you can like send a link out. Um, like I have a cousin that, um, plays high school soccer right now and like his team's doing that. Um or you can like donate money through this online link. Um, that that's a good one. Um, go volunteer at other sporting events, maybe at your high school. Um, like your basketball program goes and supports like the girls soccer team or something like that and works the concessions or something like that, like be involved, um, and in those types of ways. I think there's a lot of different ways you can kind of be creative, um, one thing that uh, I can speak from like seeing here in Eugene, Oregon is um, there's a lot of opportunity to like volunteer at um, University of Oregon um, sporting events. So like the Oregon Duck football games, like you can sell raffle tickets, you can run a concession stand, um, all that kind of stuff. And you can raise money and use some of the proceeds to go towards your group or your program. So um, there's a, a few different ways to get involved like that at the high school.
0: Yeah. That, I mean, I've, I've done probably almost all of one of those. So those are all kind of the, uh, the more popular ones. There was one, my, my senior year of high school and it was, it was really interesting. We, um, we would, um, go around to like different local businesses and we would see if they wanted to promote and put an advertisement banner in our state or our gym. Mm-hmm. Um, which I, I think was cool just because you'd, I think especially in high school basketball, it's always better when there's just like uh, general community support, not just parents and students in the crowd. I think it's cool to kind of build awareness in that sense. And, in that way it's, it's not like, you know, who's this kid who's just trying to take money from me or whatever. No, you get to promote somebody's business um, kind of teaches your, your players a little bit of salesmanship there of how to go and uh, kind of present that to somebody. Uh, I, um, the one that I got my senior year, I, I don't even know if it's still there, but the, uh, the toxic burger mm. joint yeah, on yeah. river road. Yeah. So I, I remember I went there and we got to talk about different color grades that he wanted for his banner and all this kind of stuff. And, um, yeah, just pay a straight up fee for the year. And it was like a yearly lease kind of a thing. And then from there on they have a chance to renew it if they would like to or whatever. And it was like, hey, it's cool. You get to kinda like learn a little bit of um, you know, business and marketing for after your school days or whatever, but you know, get a get a chance to show off see you know some uh some community business and then also your fundraising for your program at the same yeah. time. That was the last one. That was good. Do you have any uh have any of your own mailbag questions you want to present to the table or no? Hmm. I'm putting you on the spot right here.
1: Let's see. What is one thing for you specifically um, that you, if it was in your control, you could change about your college basketball career and why? I wish
0: I would have had the same perspective on it that I do now. Which would be what? Um, Which would be, um, I was really self conscious when when I first got to the college level and so I thought about that too much. Um, I just wish I would have asked more questions earlier on and you know, just be a little bit more fearless. I think there's there's times when um, I I've said this on the podcast before and it's 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 truly how I feel. I, I was not prepared um, skill wise or any really anything on that level for the college level. I think I, um, you know, I don't, I don't think I didn't deserve to be there, but I think as far as my expectations and what I wanted and, um, I wanted to play and wanted to contribute more than I did. And, um, I think I just got in my head about it and I just never, never really broke out of that. And, you know, for whatever reason, um, you know, it felt like immediately once, when I, once, you know, I was done and had some time to reflect, I was like, why didn't I just do that? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was really freeing and liberating, especially when, you know, um, you get to go, you know, play in other, other outlets, other you know, forms of basketball and get to go play and start to do the things that I wish I would have done, and you know, see immediate results. And obviously, it's not the same as college basketball, but uh, yeah, I was just, I felt, um, I felt like I didn't belong. I think that was a big thing, but yeah, I just wish, just perspective. Um, I wasn't myself. Yeah, I don't think, and uh, it's it sucks looking back and being like, I don't think any of my teammates really got to see how i would have liked to play um but hey it's how life goes and i think you know there's a unique way to look at it to where now um i i can't tell any of the players that i train and coach now enough that you know take chances be fearless and even if even if you have a coach that's trying to hold you back prove them wrong you know i i preach that every single day so i think um that'd be something that i'd change about my career but uh, wouldn't trade it at this point because I get to. Uh, I think my players can see the passion in in my eyes when I tell them these things, and it's cool to see them start to translate that. So that would be, that would be the biggest thing for me. That's a good one. Nice. Yeah. What about you? What's something you would change, if any?
1: Um. Honestly, your answer kind of relates a little bit too um uh, to myself uh i always tried to fill the role that i felt like i was being given in a sense um but being on the other side of it now and being a coach it's like you can kind of determine your role as a player and i i feel like i could have um played at the college level i think i have let myself play a little bit more free and not timid at times Um, like the fear of making a mistake or something like that um, because the game means that much more Um, I wouldn't trade my experience as far as the friendships that I have because of who I played with and the teammates I had and you know winning two conference championships i wouldn't trade any of that um as far as an individual career goes i selfishly um selfishly i feel like i should have had a better college career than i did whether that was where you know whether that was somewhere else whether that was at ncu um i probably i feel like i could have had a better individual career based off of the type of player I knew I could be and who I was in high school. Um, And so I think allowing myself to just kind of be more free and dictate my role a little bit more, I think I would have liked to have taken a little bit more control of that. Um, With that being said, I was given the opportunity to do that. I just, yeah, I didn't ever have the role that I thought that I could have had in college. Um, But with that being said, I wouldn't really trade my experience. Like, I think things happen for a reason. I think that I appreciate basketball more now than I um, even did then and um, because of my experiences. So, um, yeah, I think that the other thing, too, and I've mentioned it on here, I believe before, um, is being a little bit more consistent with, like, um, my diet, like, I feel like I could eat whatever I wanted in college, um, which is pretty much true and like stay in shape. But I think it would have helped me take care of my body a little bit more. Um, just dealing with like aches and pains over the course of my senior year sucked. Like I hated it. Um, my lower back always hurt. My hips were unaligned. So probably just like some things to prevent that in the training room and then just eating a little bit better. Um, I think would have helped with some ailments and all of that. So um, things like, I think that's important, like it for, as far as longevity goes for any athlete, like you got to be able to take care of your body. Um, So I think that a little bit more, like I was in shape, don't get me wrong, but I think I would have liked to have perfected that side of things more. So, yeah.
0: There you have it. And that's why we're going to be, some really good coaches out here cause we're not going to let our players go through the same thing <laughs> that we went through. <laughs> um, well, cool. Uh, thank you all for listening in to the, uh, first episode of season two of the player to coach pod is our mailbag episode. Um, we we're pumped about this next season. Oh, I, I forgot to mention this earlier. We're going to be coming out with, um, some different content moving forward. A lot of the same stuff, but some different stuff. Because we're getting into a busy season. Uh we got, you know, obviously like Jordan talked about, he's got um conditioning and you know stuff is starting to pick up for him as far as his team commitments go. So we're gonna be doing a little bit more um say uh in season follow along, maybe some live action stuff. Um so TBD on that. Uh, we are, uh, we are pumped about the second season. And, uh, I've said this one time before, I'm going to have to say it again. If you like the show, just go ahead and like it, go ahead and subscribe, go ahead and follow, do all that, share it with other people. But again, I reiterate, if you don't, please just like move about your life and just don't mention it to anyone. If you think the show sucks, just move on. Mm -hmm. All right. I don't, I'm not going to make you follow us. I'm not going to make, I can't do it anyway, but just move on with your life. If you don't like it, I'm, I'm shocked if you've made it this far into the episode and you don't like it, but Hey, this is where we're at. Um, all right. Thank you everybody for tuning into, uh, episode 14 of the player to coach pod. Uh, have a good one.